Habakkuk or Habakkuk. You can say it about any way that you want to say it, just as long as you find it. Habakkuk, the second chapter, want to share a verse or two. If you're still looking for it, say, stall a minute. Stall a minute. I'll stall a minute. I've learned that the Christian walk is a lot like the game of golf. Last week, there were two or three that fell asleep in my sermon. And so this week, I have the solution to that problem. So if you fall asleep, don't snore because I'll be, attra- I'll be attracted to your snoring. And I'll put the fear of God in you. Uh, before I fell out of a tree and broke both my wrists, I used to be, uh, I wasn't really a, a golfer. I was a, f- a flogger. How many of what a flogger is? Anybody? No, no, flogger is, flog is golf spelled backwards. And that's exactly what I did. I did it all wrong. And unfortunately, Miguel, if you'll just put your Bible if you put your Bible, put your phone on top of your head. I'm going to see if I can whack it from here. <laughs> the whole section is clearing. They don't have much confidence in my ability. I can, I can tell. Um, several years ago, we had a, uh, a pro. Uh, he made thousands of dollars on the uh, golf circuit and then became an instructor. And uh, he was... He, they attended here for a couple of years. And uh, so I commented in one of my sermons that, that I liked to golf and I wasn't very good at it. So he called me up and said, hey, meet me at the driving range and let's look at your golf game. And so we met and they, I bought a bucket of balls and I proceeded to whack them. And after about 10 or 15 whacks, he said, Pastor said, let me tell you something. He said, you have perfected your mistakes. You do it wrong every time. You have perfected your mistakes and you do it wrong every time. And then he proceeded to, to help me. And I didn't know there were so many elements in the golf game. It's, it's a lot like our Christian walk. There's so many different tangents and elements that transpire. But there's something about the way you grip the club. And there's something about the way that you aim your feet and there's something about the way you pull the club back and there's something about the way that you follow up on the club. And then he told me there's a sweet spot on the golf club that's about the size of a dime. So the, the, go, the object of the game is to find that sweet spot and hit that ball right in the middle and send it towards a hole. And that's the object of the game is to put the ball in the hole. Uh, if you put the ball in the hole in one shot, it's called a hole in one. If you put the ball in the hole in a two shot, it's called an eagle. If you put the hole in the ball in the third shot, it's called a, um, help me, a par three. So it's par, right? So it's hole in one, eagle. What, what's a birdie? That would be a par, par four hole, wouldn't it? So, so the object of the game is to put the, the ball in the hole. And when you go to the course, and the reason I'm sharing this this morning, I think the Genesis tournament is going on today. Anybody see that in the news? 
uh, Tiger Woods and several of the world famous golfers are golfing today for a serious amount of money. And so when you go to the golf course, you put the ball on the, on the tee and you try to whack it towards the hole. And towards the hole, there might be sand, there might be water, there might be a rough, there might be woods, but uh, it's harder than it looks. I know one preacher was preaching against golf and he called it cow pasture pool. And I thought that was an interesting cow pasture pool. But the game of golf is a lot like the game of life. It seems like there are so many things that need to line up and so many things that need to check out. And there's so many different ways you've got to approach it, so many ways you've got to do it. And I want to look at it. I want to look at the Christian walk today a, a little different. I want to share, if I can, from Habakkuk, the second chapter. Let me get up here to where my notes are beginning in verse 2. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that he may run that readeth it. Verse 3. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not Terry. Uh, Freddie Mercury of Queen sang a song a few years ago, actually several years ago, that simply said, I want it all, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now. I want it all, and I want it now. Can anybody relate to that statement? I want it all, and I want it now. But it seems like it doesn't come all at once. And it seems like it doesn't happen quite the way that we want it to happen. I know the promises of God are yea and amen. And here the author of this book is telling us to write the vision down. I've learned that not only is there a honey-do list, but there's a honey-be list. There are things that God wants you to be. There are things that God wants you to do. There are things that God wants you to accomplish. accomplish. And it seems to be a process that we walk through to get to where God wants us to be. And I want to take our story today from the 11th chapter of the book of John and the story about Lazarus. It's a pretty popular story. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, uh, Martha was an incredible cook, uh, housekeeper. She kept everything in order. Mary was a worshiper. Mary is the girl that broke the alabaster box and anointed his feet and, and, and washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. How many remember the story? And there were people that began to rebuke the fact that she had taken this costly perfume and it anointed the feet of Jesus. And in reality, we realized that she was anointing him for his death because he would leave that conversation. Just a few days later, he would be arrested and he would be murdered. But she broke the alabaster box and she anointed his, his feet with, with, that, with that precious ointment and then washed his feet with her tears and then dried them with her hair. And there were those that tried to criticize and those that tried to rebuke and Jesus said this, what she has done today will be spoken a hundred years from now. And here we are several 
hundred years later, actually 2,000 years later, and we're talking about this young lady that, that gave it all to worship and praise God. And this was the place that Jesus liked to hang out. He liked to go. Martha always had a hot meal. Martha always served Jesus. And one day, Martha got a little irritated because all Mary wanted to do was worship, and all Martha wanted to do was cook and bake and clean. And so Martha goes to Jesus and fusses and gripes about Mary. And, and Jesus said, Martha, what you're doing is important, but what Mary is doing is more important. And worship is more important than any other aspect of our life. It is not matter what you do, whether you pass out tracts or go to jails or hospitals and pray for the sick, everything that you can do for the kingdom, the greatest thing that you can do for the kingdom is to be what God called you to be and that God called you to be a worshiper. And so Jesus gets report that Lazarus is sick, and he, and he hears the report, and the Bible says, instead of leaving that day and headed towards where Lazarus was, Jesus waited two days. You know the story, when they got, when they got to where Lazarus lived, there was mourning, there was sadness, there was weeping. Uh, Lazarus had died. And Mary and Martha both approached Jesus and said, had you been here, he would not have died. And you know the story. Jesus told the disciples, Lazarus is simply asleep. And they thought he was referring to physical sleep. He said, well, if he's sleeping, he's fine. He said, no, Lazarus is dead, and he died for a reason. He died that the manifest power of God could be revealed to you, to the disciples. And so they go to the town where Lazarus is at, and, and, and everybody's mourning, everybody's weeping, and Jesus asked them to take him to the tomb of Lazarus. And when he got there to the tomb of Lazarus, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. We're not sure really why he wept. There are two reasons why he could have wept. The first reason he could have wept because of their unbelief and of their doubt. They had seen his ministry. They had seen what he could do. They had heard his promises. They had heard his word, but yet they doubted that Lazarus could live. Or maybe he was weeping because he loved Lazarus, and the, humani the humanitarian side of him was sad because Lazarus was dead. We're not sure why he wept, but he wept. And then Jesus makes an incredible statement, and he says, Roll away the stone." Roll away the stone. Had they not interrupted him, and they did. They said, Jesus, he's been dead four days. By now, he stinks. This is not a good idea. This is not going to work. It's not going to happen. Had they not interrupted him, he would have said, roll away the stone and see the glory of God. Roll away the stone and see the glory of God. I was giving counsel this morning on, on the way to church. A person called me in Florida going through some rough times, going through some stuff and some things were happening. And this was not the first time that I counseled this person. And it kind of seemed like my counsel was falling on deaf ears. So I had an opportunity to kind of preach my message to that person. And I said, you know what? There are stones in your life that are hindering you from hearing what God's word has to say and doing what God's Word wants you to do, and being what God's Word wants you to be. There are some stones in your life you need to remove. You need to get out of the way. 
and they might be stones of doubt. They might be stones of depression. They might be stones of discouragement. There might be stones of discontent. It might be financial pressure. It might be marital pressure. It might be physical pressure. But there are things in your life that are keeping you from getting to where God wants you to be. And that's why we gather in the house of God. That's why we come and we cast all our care upon him for he careth for us. There's a reason why we pursue the things of God and the word of God and the presence of God. Because when you pursue God's presence, it will change you from where you are to where you need to be. Aren't you glad that we have that promise and that provision today? Something good is going to happen this day. Something good is going to be accomplished. You're going to take a step closer to the things of God. You're going to grow another inch in the gospel. You're going to increase maturity and wisdom. But I want you to reflect this morning and do your own inventory. Are there things in my life that are hindering the power and the presence of God? Are there things in my life keeping me from where I want to be? We know that God's promises are yea and amen. We understand that and relate to that. But are there things in our life that are disqualifying us from receiving all that God has? And we know the Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save. His ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. But he says, your sins have separated you from God. And something about sin, when you take the blood of Jesus and apply those to your sins, you're washed, you're cleansed, and you get a brand new start. And not only get a brand new start that day, you can get several brand new starts in the same day. I mean, how many times can we mess up? Seven. Peter said 70 times seven. Jesus said no matter how many times you mess up, and 70 times seven, that's a lot of mess ups. That's 490 mess-ups. In 24 hours, that's a lot of mess-ups per minute. And some of us are just walking around. We are mess-ups. And we got it all. We got it all wrong. We got it all messed up. But Jesus said, that's okay. Cast that upon me. I can take care of it. And I can take, turn things around in your life. And I forgive you, restore you, and put you where you need to be. My title this morning for Austin, because he always needs a title, is simply this. Delay doesn't mean denial. Delay doesn't mean denial. When I think of the Word of God and the stories that we find in, in, the, in the Bible, and here the story tells us in Habakkuk to write the vision down, to, to, to make it clear, to, to focus on, to know what you want from God and the things of God and the things of life, the things that God has for you is to write the vision down and tarry, wait. And if you wait and, and you tarry long enough, it's going to come to pass. Look at somebody and say, it's going to come to pass. One of our favorite scriptures in the Bible, obviously, is Isaiah 40, 31. But they that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And the Bible says we have all those, pre all those promises the renewal, the strength, being able to run and not faint. We have all of those things because we do one thing, and that is wait. Kendra, there are three definitions for the word wait, and they all apply to us. The first word wait is the, is the time frame that we wait until something takes place. But I'm here to tell you today that God's clock 
is not the same as your clock. And we, not, we need to stop making our clock our clock. We need to start making God's clock our clock. There are things that God has for us and things that God wants for us and things that we are to pursue, but there's a season of maturity. There's a season of growth. You get the seed in the ground. You water the ground. Heat hits the seed. The, the seed explodes. The plant begins to grow, and then, and then fruit begins to form. It's all a process. It doesn't take place overnight. And a lot of people, when they come to God, they're expecting everything to change overnight. You didn't get to where you were overnight. I, let me say, you didn't get to where you were overnight. It took a process for you to get there, and now you've got to redo some things, restart some things, renew some things. Some things in your life have got to change so you can be what God wants you to be, and you can do what God wants you to do. And that's all about waiting. That's all about tarrying in God's presence. We used to have what's called a watch night service. We don't have them anymore because we're all too old. But there have been times in this church when New Year's Eve, we'd be right here in the sanctuary, and we'd be washing feet. I don't know what that had to do with anything. We did communion. We washed feet. We sang. We prayed. And then when the clock struck, struck midnight, everybody thought that we were stepping into a brand-new supernatural arena. I don't think God works like that. I don't think God's any different January 1st than he is December 31st. He is faithful and just to do all that he's promised to do. But we get in our mind a, a time, and sometimes if we're not careful, we'll give God an ultimatum. Well, God, if you don't do this by this time, I'm going to do this. And that's, that's not the way that God rolls. The way that God rolls is for you to wait to hear his voice and to follow his counsel and his direction. And many times he will speak to you in his word. You begin to read the word of God, he'll speak to you. If you don't read the word of God, you probably won't get a lot of answers. Hello, but if you're looking for God's will and God's purpose and God's direction, you will find it in this book. The second word for wait is a great word, and it means to minister to as a waiter or a waitress. And certainly today, I don't want to make you hungry but the past several weeks, we've been taking Rhonda's dad to Carabas. They've got this great sourdough bread that they, they put some uh, pep, black pepper on a platter, and they take pure, not just pure, but extra virgin. I don't know if that, how you can be an extra virgin, but the extra virgin olive oil, and you add it to the plate, and then you take that sourdough bread, and you sop that bread real good on both sides, and then, and then you eat that bread, and then while you're eating that bread, they bring you this salad. It's got cucumbers. It's got carrots. It's got purple lettuce. It's got yellow lettuce. It's got pink lettuce. It's got little shredded stuff in it. It's got almonds in it. And then I always get not just ranch dressing, Leanne, but I get extra ranch dressing because it's never enough. And, I'd like, and I'll dip that, that lettuce and that cucumber. Is anybody getting hungry? Oh, you haven't heard anything yet. Then they bring me a platter of not one, not two, but eight scallops. 
and these scallops have been grilled and sauteed in this special sauce, and it's got this, this brown, gooey sauce that's incredible. And then they bring me some lemon, and I take that lemon and I squeeze it on that, on that, on that, those scallops. But the best part of the whole meal is the grilled asparagus. I'm telling you, I don't know how they do it, but they've got this garlic powder and this lemon, lemon pepper, and they grill this asparagus, and then rarely, do we stay for a piece of carrot cake? But they got the carrot cake. You know, I forgot why I was telling that illustration because all of a sudden it makes me, what was, oh yes, the waiter. And, and uh, thank you, Pastor Roger. And, and, and we have guy waiters and we have girl waitresses and they're so good to come and, and, and keep half and half iced tea going. And Pastor Ronna does light ice. I do medium ice. And I forgot what her dad does. He does all ice. And they keep that glass filled. And they keep the bread. We usually do two things of bread. And they'll bring another loaf of bread. And, and, and we'll be eating the bread. And that waiter, wait, just watching us. And if there's anything that we need, they'll rush to get it. And they usually forget my lemons. So they got to go get my lemons and bring my lemons. And that's all wonderful. It's all wonderful to wait upon the Lord. It's, uh, it's wonderful to serve him. It's wonderful to praise him. It's wonderful to worship him. And when you worship the Lord in that fashion, he will come, he will bring his presence, and he will bring his glory. That's the second definition of the word wait. But in Isaiah 40 and 31, that word wait is quava, and it's a Hebrew word that means to bind together, as in the process of building a rope. You know, you'll take a rope and you'll take strands of that rope and you'll braid them like you braid a girl's hair. And you'll braid that rope into a threefold strand. And the Bible says in, in, in Amos that a threefold cord is not easily broken. And here's what God is saying. When you bind yourself together with me, when you interwine your life with my life, when you wrap yourself up in me, you're going to mount up with wings as eagles. You're going to run and not be weary. You're going to walk and not faint. And that's all about waiting upon the Lord for his process in our life to bind us together to become what he wants us to do and what he wants us to be. And there are things in life that we are pursuing it takes time to develop, to get to a place to receive those things. I shared last Sunday about Caleb. Caleb saw his mountain, wanted it, was ready. But Aaron, 40 years later, because of stuff, he finally takes his mountain. He had to wait 40 years to get it, but he got it. Look at somebody and say, he got it. Joshua served Moses 40 years, and then when Moses dies, God raises up Joshua to take that place. But Joshua didn't overnight receive the ability to become the leader of Israel. He was in Moses' life every day. He served Moses. He waited upon Moses. He sought after the things that Moses pursued. When Moses went to the mountain, Joshua went to the mountain. In that 40-year process, God turned Joshua into the leader of one of the greatest nations that ever existed because of his faithfulness towards the things of God. When I think of waiting, I think of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus ambushed God. Zacchaeus found out where God was going to be, and he climbed a tree. And he stayed in that tree until God came by. 
until God drew near. I'm not telling you to go and climb a tree, but I'm telling you, you need to find out what God loves and love that and find out what God hates and hate that. And, and Zacchaeus said, I'm going to ambush the Lord. I know where he's headed. I'm going to climb a tree. I'm going to wait here till he shows up. I don't know if there were ants in the tree. I don't know if there was sap in the tree. I don't know if he got his hair stuck in some gooey sap. I don't know if he broke a twig and it stuck him in the leg. I don't know what his experience was waiting for the Lord, but he made up his mind, I'm going to wait until God shows up. Do I have any waiters in the building today? And then I think of Samson. One of the saddest stories in the Bible. Samson was a prophet. He was a man of God. He took the Nazarite vow. He didn't cut his hair. His strength was not in his hair. The strength was in his ability to follow the purpose and plan of God. And you know the story. Samson got caught up in wine, women, and song. And he found himself being betrayed. And he found himself with his eyes pierced where he could not see. He was blind. And he, and he ground out meal every day there. And everybody made fun of him. And everybody laughed. Everybody taunted him. And every day that when they would go to the temple, Solomon would go to the temple. I don't know how many times, Linda, that Samson said, God, let me feel your power one more time. I don't know if it happened for a year. I don't know how it happened for five years. I don't know how many times he asked God to do it. But on that day when Samson cried out to God, God honored Samson's request. And Samson pulled the pillars of that temple down. And the Bible says more died in that day than all that he had killed previously in his life. The, the, the best for many of us in this room is yet to come. The purposes of God have not yet been fulfilled, have not yet been sustained, but they are in you. You are pregnant. It's in your womb. It's in your spirit. And if you'll nurture it, take care of it and feed it and let it grow, it will become what God wants it to be and you will do what God has called you to do. And I'm preaching good now. Roll away the stone and see the glory of God. Get rid of the distractions in your life. Get rid of the hindrances in your life. Get rid of the things that are disqualifying you. A lot of us want God's best, but we give him our least. I mean, we, we commit to Sunday morning. We commit to Wednesday night. Men's breakfast every other Saturday. Ladies' prayer here every Saturday at 10 Doors are open. Opportunities are given. There's so many areas in ministry that we can be involved in. We can work with the youth. We can work with the children. We can work in the food pantry. We can work in the clothes closet. We, several of you have been staying after church on Wednesday night and helping Austin out cleaning the facilities, and God appreciates that. There are so many things that we can do. You need to get off your nest. Let me rephrase that. You need to get off your duff. And you just say, it's more about just sitting an hour on Wednesday night. It's more than spending an hour and a half of our life on Sunday. It's more than that. We are growing. We are feeding. We are learning. It's time to put your faith into focus and put your faith into feet and begin to operate in the faith that God has given you to make a difference in somebody else's life. That's what the kingdom is all about. God blesses me so I can bless others. God reveals things to me so I can re reveal them to others. I told someone the other day, I have to stay healthy. 
If I'm not healthy, I can't get you healthy. So those things that I do, there's times when I don't answer my phone because I realize it's a 30-minute call that I'm just going to waste your time and mine because i got a bad attitude and I don't want to talk to you anyway. That, a lot of that's perfectly true. <laughs> no one I'm looking over, no one in this building, but there are, there are some in my life I look at my phone and I just want to stick my head out the window, Kenda, and scream, I can't take it no more. Anybody relate to that? Anybody like you look at the phone? Nah, I'm not going to answer this now. But there, there are, there, there are things that God wants to behold, and that is the glory of God. And I like the scripture that says, "If God be for us, who can be against us?" There are things that will be against us, but they don't compare to the greatness of God. They don't compare to the authority of God. They don't compare to the provisions of God. You can seek after the things in the world all you want, but only Jesus can satisfy your soul. And when it says the promises of God are yea and amen, I went through this morning and, and looked at a few of the promises, and I found that in John 1 and 9, he says, wherever you go, I will be with you. In Psalms 23 and 4, it says, I will fear no evil, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Philippians 4 and 6, he says, I will give you peace, my perfect peace. Matthew 6 and 31 says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. I will take care of that. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Matthew 7 and 9, good things will he give to them that love him. 2 Corinthians 9 and 8, for God is able to bless us abundantly in every area of our life. In Psalms 34 and 10, the Bible says, you will lack no good thing when you put your trust in the Lord. Romans 8 and 32, graciously, he will give you all good things that come from the Father of lights. In Matthew 11 24, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. In John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Am I preaching good right now? John 8 12 says, I am the light of the world. I'll light every dark area of your life. In Isaiah 61, he said, I came to set the captive free, to give you a new tomorrow. John 14 and 25, that we have an advocate with the, Holy, with the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. We have a lawyer right now in heaven, Jesus Christ, interceding for us and pleading our case. In John 10 and 10, it says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy but he has come that we might have life and have life more abundantly. In John 15 and 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and you will produce much fruit in the kingdom. In Matthew 28 and 20, he said, I will be with you always, even until the end of the world. In John 14 and 27, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Did you know the word of God says that? In John 14 and 3, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house were many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Do I have a friend in the house right now? 
James 1 and 5 said, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth all men liberty, and upbraideth it not. The double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. In Mark 11 and 24, And whatsoever you ask in my name, I will do it, that the Father would get the glory. In Proverbs 37 and 4, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. I'm preaching better than your shout, but that's okay. And that page, all scriptures. I end with these truths. You ready? There are seven of them, Bailey. Ready? Trust is timing. In the game of golf, timing is everything. That pendulum swing, it's perfect timing. That club hits that ball at the perfect angle, perfect timing, the follow through. Timing is everything. Rely on his promises. I've been told there are over 3,000 promises in the word of God concerning us. I just quoted about 40. Wait for his answers. Again, delay does not mean denial. Jesus waited four days for Lazarus in his death, and he went and said, Lazarus, come forth. And you know something? It's a good thing he said Lazarus, Linda. Had he not said Lazarus, every dead person in that cemetery would have come forth. Believe in his miracles. He still does miracles today. Rejoice in his goodness. Rejoice in his goodness. And lastly, relax in his presence. My cousin went through some very serious surgeries and I drove to, was it Memphis? I drove to Little Rock to be with him in surgery. And I went to pray with him before the uh, surgery. He looked at me and he said, Hank, he said, God's got this. And I'm here to tell you today that wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, whatever you're encountering or experiencing, God's got this. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows how to solve. He knows to bring to closure the things you need closure. He knows how to open doors. He knows to push you in the area that you need to go. It's all about us being willing to let him do what he wants to do in our life. Shall we pray? We thank you for the worship today, the praise. We thank you for the word. We thank you for the opportunity corporately to come and sit under a corporate anointing. The worship is anointed. The offering is anointed. The word is anointed corporately where two or three gather in your name there you are you said that you bind things you bind us together to serve you and to trust you and to honor you and we do that today we honor your goodness and we honor your favor you are in control and we trust you we rely on you we give it all to you we will do what we are supposed to do we will put our faith into action for faith without works is dead and we will do what your word says, and then we'll expect you to follow up and bring those things that we need to do all that you've called us to do in this last day ministry. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and you all said, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation.